Welcome to the Reimagining Faith podcast with the Pastors Jackson. This is a podcast for seekers, dreamers, and fellow sojourners who are trying to figure out what it means to be followers of Jesus in the 21st century. It is so good to be back with you after a uh, brief eight-week hiatus. Um, (laughs) It was never meant to be eight weeks. We apologize for that. Um, But where where have we been, Nicole? Where have we been? Um, We have been preparing to move. (laughs) Yeah. We have been uh, packing up our house in Reading signing contracts, filling out paperwork, um, looking for new houses, um, settling on a contract for a new house, and figuring out how to get from Reading to Pottstown. So the last eight weeks have not been for naught. Uh, a lot of <laughs> what um, we've been doing in the last eight weeks is in pre- preparation for the, the topic we're going to talk about today. But it has been a a journey for those of you who have moved and Ugh. have tried to find a new house. Never again. Uh, yeah. We're just going to stay in this next house forever. We're yep. never moving ever um, out of this house. Um, so actually, um, all of that work is also um, is leading to us being able to close on both our own house and the house that we're going to be moving in in Pottstown um, September 14th. Uh, So please keep us in your prayers. We are thrilled and excited to be living in the same place where we are ministering and to really call Pottstown uh, home. Yeah. Yeah. And before we talk a little bit more about home and place and working where where our feet are located, uh, we want to let you know that Um, Coming up on September 11th at 3 o'clock, we are having a big community launch party at the Pottstown Carousel, which if you haven't been to is exactly what it sounds like. It is an indoor carousel. (laughs) There's also, you know, vintage pinball pinball machines and arcade games and we're going to have food and we're going to have a service and we're going to have a lot of um, fun times. It's going to be at three o'clock September 11th so that all of you who are church going folks or maybe people who work at churches will hopefully be able to join us and celebrate with us on that date. And then the following Sunday, which the 18th, we will begin our normal, regularly scheduled weekly worship services. In our new church home. In our new church home at the Steel River Playhouse on High Street. Do you know the number? That's fine. It'll be in the show notes. It's also on opentablepotstown.com. Or you can just Google Steel River Playhouse on High Street. We will be in the upstairs practice space. It is a wonderful, amazing space, and they are just such great partners. And uh, we'll begin worship services um, in earnest at uh, what are we doing? 10 a.m.? Is that 10 a.m.? 10 a.m. That'll be both in person and also live streamed and recorded for future posterity. Also, so that those of you who are not in this physical space with us can participate. Which is a great segue into a question that we got more than one time. Um, We, in all of our advertising and all of our messaging, have made it very clear that we are Pottstown-centered. 
and that we are focused where we are and we want to be in the community of the community and that is really important to us. So a couple of different people have asked us, if I don't live in Pottstown, can I join your church? Hmm. And what do you what do you think about that? Well, um, the conversation that I had um, did not go as well as I had hoped um, <laughs> because I hadn't really thought through it. I don't think I don't think I had thought through uh, the fact that our community would probably span a bit more than the the five something miles of uh, the Pottstown borough. But I think since that conversation, I've had the opportunity to think a bit more broadly about time and place and um, what it means to have worship services in the 21st century in 2022 in this time of the pandemic that has forced all of us to really reconsider what it means to be a church community that isn't only just in a physical space, but is also over space webs or whatever you would like to call it. <clears throat> over space webs. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I I think I'm still thinking a lot about that and and how how we can create a space that that is really, really, really good. For Pottstown and for people who find their feet right there to also be a place that is open and inclusive of people who want to come and join the thing we are doing in Pottstown. So if you are close by, but not necessarily in Pottstown, but you want to invest in this place, we invite you to do that with us. If you are in New Jersey or in California or, uh, you know, even Philadelphia, uh, which is only about an hour from here. We want you to be able to participate as well. And and a lot of the things that we're doing helps us to learn how to have our feet wherever our feet are, to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ in pl- in a place, um, in a physical space, in a virtual space, uh, in the spaces that we find ourselves. In thinking about the theology of place, <sighs> It strikes me as something that is only something that we have had to think about as a people in the modern world, you know, pre-car and train and (laughs) all of that. You kind of lived most of your life where your ancestors had lived most of their life. People didn't really go across the country for new jobs before then, if you had to walk, I mean, other than the Oregon Trail or something. Mm. Um, so you you had a sense of place, you know, the family home, the family farm. And it, it's only really in this modern and post-industrial age when we follow work and work is scarce and we we go where we can find it. And we try to build community as we go, but we're, we're so transient. We don't live in a place for long enough to really build social capital and to build, to, to dig deep roots where we are. And so we're almost like a, a tumbleweed generation. Hmm. It's just moving around, following the waters. And at the, at the same time, it's, it might not be all bad you know, that when we usually talk about a theology of place, it's it's usually in some kind of idyllic um, 
nostalgic for a time and place that we never lived in, looking back towards the golden age of human life. But, you know, when people were in one place for generations and generations, things tended not to change either. Mm -hmm. There wasn't room for uh, human rights to flourish. You know, you don't question the elders. The things have been done the way they've always been done, and that's just the way they are. It's not a lot of room for individual uh, advancement, um, for the fulfillment of your basic human flourishing in some ways. And so it, we're presented in, in this rootless generation also with opportunity to cultivate space, to cultivate a new garden of Eden where things are uh, full of life and, and good things as well. Um, so I want to acknowledge that there's both a, a, a something that's lost with our transiency, but also a certain flexibility or adaptability that lends itself to, to opportunities that weren't afforded to previous generations. Mm -hmm. You know, and, 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 and you mentioned being in a, a virtual space as well. And this is something that I, I have many, many thoughts about because <laughs> the virtual space is the one that most people most actively are deriding like all the time. I know of, of certain churches, even, even in our own area, who have stopped live streaming their worship services not for technical reasons, but because they're they're afraid that people aren't going to come back to church physically anymore. And so they're afraid that so they're taking it away so that people will come back because um, according to their theology, their thinking, um, a virtual encounter is not a real encounter. You're either in person or it's not real. And I, I think maybe that makes sense to certain people who were not raised in on the internet in digital places but like for someone like me the virtual relationships are relationships they're real relationships the things that happen the, com the conversations that we have over the internet are real conversations there's real emotions real relationships some of my best friends i have not seen in person in years but we regularly talk and communicate and we collaborate and we play games and, you know, do all the things virtually that we would do in person. And to me, that is just as important um, than as, as the in-person thing. And so I'm, I struggle with how to reconcile the two sometimes, um, acknowledging that a person cannot solely live on the internet in a virtual <laughs> space and be healthy. Um, but also giving that space its own sense of sacred. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we we've been talking about what that has I mean, I think I think the the pandemic time that we've been living in has really stretched us um to find meaning and sacredness in the virtual space because I know at least for for Zach and I, the the two churches that we were leading, we were virtual only for a very long time. Hmm. And even when we weren't virtual anymore, um, we were limited in how much time we could be together and how we would be together. And so we had to find ways to connect that were outside of the physical space. Um, 
I know one of the things that that a couple of my my colleagues and I, uh, including Zach, did is that we created during our special uh, seasons of the church year, uh, particularly Advent and Lent. So we created written devotional material so that people could um, spiritually stay connected, um, could be stay connected to each other uh, because we were reading the same material and also finding ways to kind of set up altars in our own home. So no longer was church the only sacred space, but there was also sacred space at home. And so, and then we would engage together on YouTube or on Zoom and we're able to share those those feelings of loneliness and separation and distance um, in a way that kind of brought the distance a little bit closer, uh, that made it so that it wasn't as isolating. And that's not over. That's not over because of the pandemic, but it's not over because we have all kinds of people who can't leave their homes um, for all kinds of reasons and who may not be finding spiritual nourishment and community physically where they are. So instead of saying that just because it's not in-person, face-to-face where I can touch you, we're trying to lean into this idea that time and place are contextual, but not limited contextualities. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word. You know, um, people were really quick to want to return back to sanctuaries. Um, I should say uh, Christians were really quick to mm-hmm. return back to sanctuaries. I know that our, our Jewish uh, siblings were, are, who are less connected to the physical space of the synagogue, from what I'm told, were uh, totally fine with uh, doing all the worship from home. For them, it's more of a sacred time than a sacred space. Mm. And for us Christians, space is kind of a really important aspect. It's it's not just the empty container in which our actions occur, but it is in and of itself a player. It is a character mm. in in our um in our worship, just as much as the pastor and the the worship leader and all of that. But it's intentional. You know, you go to a a traditional church, you go to a sanctuary, it's set up for worship. It does that one thing. And the elements there are designed to lead you into worship and not into distraction. And it has, mm-hmm. you know, in, in some cases, a long, long t- history of people encountering the divine in that space. And I have found that when you have a long history of people encountering the divine in any given space, it leaves a kind of spiritual residue on the walls. Hmm. And you can walk into a place, whether that be a church, a mosque, a synagogue, or a very old sacred tree. When you're in the presence of a place where people have encountered the divine continually for a long period of time, it just feels different. Hmm. It feels set aside, set apart. It feels holier. And then so we took that and the pandemic hit and then we tried to do that from home. But the problem was I would venture to say 90%, maybe even 99% of the people who went home and then tried to do worship from Zoom or Facebook or YouTube or wherever, they did it from a place that was not specially set aside. Hmm. It was not intentionally made sacred, special, 
set apart. They probably did it from their laptop or their phone or their desktop, or maybe they projected it onto a television in a place where they typically do their work, where they are entertained, where they take care of their kids, where they do a million other things that are not set apart for worship. And so what they found was that it wasn't as engaging. It wasn't as, it lacked that certain special something to it that they got in the sanctuary. Because imagine, if you will, you walk into an old beautiful sanctuary, you know, big stained glass windows, the church organ, the whole thing smells and bells and all of that. But then they have these big screens that are flashing ads for, <laughs> uh, you know, Flex Seal and for mattress giant and for you know mobile games and stuff during the service it would definitely stop feeling sacred pretty quickly you know and so while you're watching a worship service you get hit with a commercial on your phone or because you're so used to multitasking while you're on your computer you've got your phone out and you're scrolling facebook while you're doing this thing and you're doing it in a space that is where you normally live and so your brain is out yeah. You know, neuroscientists have have discovered, you know, something that religious folks have known for eons and is that the importance of ritual is that it tells your brain that we are doing something different now. Hmm. So you need to pay attention and treat this thing differently. It's the reason why all the animals, all these animals have these special like uh, courting dances, you know, mating dances. It's it's to distinguish, to help like the butterfly know that we're about to do something different than just hang out, <laughs> you know, so that both sides know that there is something special about to happen. Mm -hmm. Ritual matters. And we have that built into our spaces in most sanctuaries. We didn't have it at home. We have muddled mediums instead. And I... I I think one of the one of the things that would be most important for us as we move forward in virtual worship and hybrid worship is that if if you are a person who's engaging in this sort of thing, make a sacred space or sacred yeah. time. You know, when we sent out those devotionals, Nicole put together little little kits, like she said, with with um, um Candles. Candles and the whole thing and little liturgies for people to say. And in so doing, you turn that kitchen table into something different because the ritual is doing something different than your normal activity. Mm -hmm. um, and I do that now, too, when we've been doing morning prayer on <clears throat> Monday, Wednesdays, Fridays at 6.30 a.m. I know, I know, it's it's crazy, but... <laughs> Uh, we're doing it at 6.30 a.m. because it's the first thing of the day. And uh, I set my laptop up in my in my kitchen, which, you know, sometimes has piles of dirty dishes in it. Um, only sometimes. There's, yeah, only sometimes. Wink, wink. But um, I set it up in there, and then I have my Bible and my common prayer book. But I also light a candle. And I know that that seems really simple and maybe insignificant, but it reminds me that the Holy Spirit is among us. And by us, I mean me and whoever else is gathering to pray. And all, so all of a sudden, my, my kitchen becomes a worship space. And that feels different than when I sit down to eat tacos at it, right? Hmm. Like that feels yeah. different than when... 
I'm giving the boys breakfast. It feels like I am in some kind of teeny tiny chapel of my own that helps me to worship and to pray and to lean into my faith and to and I open up the windows as well. That's another thing that's very sacred and important to me too is because I hear, as I say, may my spirit rise to meet you as the sun, as the day rises to meet the sun. I can see the day rising to meet the sun. I can hear the sounds of nature and it all creates an environment, a, a space. Yeah. It's a very, it has become a very sacred ritual, even though I been haven't been doing it for longer than a couple months. Mm. But you're grounding yourself in a place, in a dynamic place that exists in a single point in time. Mm -hmm. I, I, I like the incorporation of nature because every morning the animals are different and they're doing something different and they're sounding something different. And there might be a distracting cat one time. <laughs> there are beautiful, beautiful songs of birds that take place in the morning that I don't think I had gotten up early enough to hear. <laughs> Insects, mm. crickets, like it, it is, it's very beautiful. And the breeze, it's great. That's the other thing. When we start to think about place, not just as the empty container or the stage on which all of our actions play out, but as an active participant in the work that we do, um, we realize that the place is not just anthropocentric. It's not just about us. Mm. Um, I mean, you can live in one place, in one home that your great-grandparents lived in your whole life. You can be on the PTA and the councils and be a member of the community and be so committed to that place and those people and not realize, you know, that there's five different varieties of wren that live <laughs> in your neighborhood. You know, you you might not even know what sort of soil you have hmm. or which plants are natural and invasive. You know, you, you could be so completely committed to the people of a place, but not to the place itself. And hmm. I think we do that a lot in modern society, that the world exists to serve the human and the human is not a part of the world. We, we the, Just the way we talk about, like, we talk about nature as something that is outside of us. Something you know? that's other. We need to protect nature. We need to protect the world. We need to uh, go out into nature, go outside, go go be with, with the plants and animals. And mm -hmm. as if all of those things are separate from the human person, the human experience. But they're not. Um, we are an animal. We are the environment. We are nature. There is no dividing line. And as much as our climate-controlled living and cars and asphalt and concrete would make us believe that there are, um, that we are like alien colonists who have come <laughs> to this foreign planet and we don't belong to it, this is our home. This is our mother. And I think that is just also as important you know, wherever you are, wherever your body is currently, you are a part of that ecosystem. Hmm. And if you can learn to not only acknowledge that, but like embrace it, to get to know it the way that you would get to know your neighbor, um, oh, 
man, I think we would, our, our, our living spaces would look and feel a lot more beautiful and taken care of. You know, a friend of mine had, um, as a way of showing people in, in the church this reality, they put um, some local animal species in their church directory. <laughs> so, you know, you might have like, you might see Jonathan Robbins and then you might see red-breasted Robin right next to them. <laughs> and it's just a picture of a bird. With a little like nice. description about you know where they live and what they're what they're like because that's a part of our church family and it was just it's such a subtle funny little thing but mm. it's the kind of thing that sticks in your mind and I I kind of love that. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I think I I, I want to talk a little bit too about the space that we're going to be meeting in, mm. um, and what it represents and. Um, and even where we're having our launch party. So our launch party is going to be taking place at the carousel in Pottstown, which has become this beautiful center of society for a lot of people uh, who live in Pottstown. A place for celebration, a place to gather, a place to discuss um, ideas and the politics of our society. It's become a place where people can connect. It's become a place um, where shows happen, where uh, events take place. But really, it's a place of celebration. Mm. And it's a, a a neutral meeting space where people from all kinds of backgrounds can gather. We're meeting in the carousel that is like this this space that is that just scream celebration mm. that that screams togetherness that screams joy mm -hmm. uh, and and so in many ways um we can think of a, a no better place to have a big party because it's a party place it's a place where people of all ages can can be it's a place where people can play and dance and sing and uh worship together um they're also big community partners mm. Their supporters, the the folks who the board who who runs the carousel, like they they make this space available for birthday parties, for fundraisers, for events, for um, all kinds of things. And so we're partnering with people who are community people. Same thing with the theater. Um, we pitched the idea of of working with them a couple months ago, and when we told them what we were about and what we were doing, they were really excited. And, you know, we've worked out this this partnership that I don't think either of us would have seen coming <laughs> or even possible. Yeah. But um, God is on the move and at work. And um, we're partnering again with people who want to invest in Pottstown, in the community in which it is situated. And so... So we're going to meet there. And it's almost like a blank canvas, right? Like... Um, if you know me, you know that I love a brick aesthetic, mm. um, an exposed brick aesthetic. And yes, so, does. you know, one whole wall of the meeting space is exposed brick and um, there's skylights that 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 bring in some sunshine because uh, there's not any windows in the space. But there's it's it's this space that says create here mm. like be in this space and allow your wonder and your awe 
to lead to creativity. And so however we organize the worship space, whatever symbols of faith that we put up um, that we use to help us guide us, to help guide us into a spirit of worship, that can be different every single week. We'll always have a table because we plan to take communion every week together. But other than that, the possibilities are endless. Mm. And we're doing this in partnership with people who want to give back to the community in the same ways that we want to give back to the community. So it has been one of the most surprising and unexpected uh, joys, I think, of this journey so far. Yeah, so... What about somebody who's not who who is not physically in the space? Can somebody join our church who lives on the other side of the world? No. No. Just kidding. No. Okay. Because <laughs> we talked a little bit about the importance of of place of being in the place where you are located, of serving the people, of getting to know and falling in love with the rest of the ecosystem of uh, being about the particular time where you find yourself. Hmm. But what if those things are different from what we're doing? Can we create a virtual space hmm. where people can, can join in the same way that people can join in the physical space? Or would we encourage people to find a different community? That's not a leading question either. I don't know if I have a great answer. <laughs> you know, I I have this vision of people sharing their space. And I think of like, take a picture of something that reflects God to you where you are. If we're having a worship service and, you know, we're guiding folks who are present through what we're going through and we're also leading online and and what would it look like to post those pictures up on a screen for people to see like oh god is showing up in santa fe god is showing up in uh nebraska god is showing up in new jersey of all places um of all places <laughs> um i mute you yeah yeah um, you know what I mean? So there, there's kind of like entrance into our world and helping us to enter into yours. So we're actually together. Yeah, it sounds like what I'm hearing is that a lot of our virtual worship spaces have been an attempt to take the in-person thing and then broadcast it outward to right. people, right? The, the The televangelist model where we're doing something here and then you can consume it when you would like. And I think many people find that empty hmm. because it is missing a vital component of the here and nowness of a thing, the um, collaboration of a thing. Um, and, and so we can intentionally construct worship services so that they include a virtual component, that it's not an afterthought, that right. it is an active participant in the service, I, I did, I uh, I did some pulpit supply for Glenside 
United Church of Christ. And they had just spent a whole bunch of money on upgrading their system, their virtual system with cameras and screens and new sound systems. And they had a whole team of people working in the back. And the lay leader was at home. And (laughs) he didn't want to be on video. He could have been on the screens. He didn't want to be on video. And so it was just the voice of God coming over the the sound system, leading the service from home. And they asked if anyone had any prayer requests, and they included folks at home who could get unmuted and then share. Mm. And it was really neat. It really felt like they were a part of the space, a part of the the time, a part of the place. I was thinking something very similar. I um, did some pulpit supply for um, Rosedale, United Church of Christ out in Laureldale. And um, during the prayer request time, We took prayer requests from everyone that was sitting in the pews, and then the person who was overseeing the live stream um, asked if other people had prayer requests, and um, magically a list appeared before me, (laughs) and I was able to pray for these folks that I clearly couldn't see, but whose name I knew, whose concerns I knew, and who now was connected with their body— their church family mm-hmm. that they couldn't actually be with. And so they couldn't be forgotten. Mm. They couldn't be dismissed. They couldn't be um, absent. They were one in spirit with us in the moment. Yeah. I found that to be really beautiful. So we are uh, generally when we're on the internet, we're consuming content, mm-hmm. right? I mean, social media has made it so that our relationships themselves have been Um, quantized and chopped up and fed back to us as entertainment. Hmm. At the same time, in uh, we have never had higher rates of depression and anxiety in our country and more levels of people feeling disconnected from each other, despite the fact that we are more connected than ever via social media. So the conventional wisdom says that extended use of social media causes feelings of disconnection and depression, Hmm. right? That's conventional wisdom. There were actually some studies done on this, and I'll have to find the study itself and put in the show notes, in which they did a sort of generalized happiness survey of people to get their baseline happiness. And then they spent, I don't remember how long, but a significant amount of time browsing Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever. And one group was simply browsing. The other group was told to interact with posts. So like things, comment on things, all of that. And what they found was that the people who spent long periods of time lurking, Mm -hmm. so just uh, looking at content from their friends, ended the session feeling worse. But the people who spent the time interacting on those posts actually ended up feeling better afterwards. Hmm. So what what these researchers were, were saying was that the data seems to suggest anyway that it's not a matter of being tied to your phone that's making you depressed and disconnected from people, but it is simply the extracting of entertainment and serotonin and dopamine from these posts 
that is making you feel lonely and disconnected from the people around you. If you take the time to comment on things, to like things, to love things, to, to, to interact, then you will find yourselves and your little social brain a lot happier than you were otherwise. And so we're happier when we're engaging. Exactly. Hmm. And when we are in a space where there is human interaction, but we are choosing to refrain from it, then our brains get worse off than they would have if we were just watching television. Hmm. But being in that social space and not doing anything is is bad for your for your mental health. So if you're not going to comment or like or anything like that, just go read a book. <laughs> But if if you wanna if you wanna be on social media, you should be interacting. And I think the same is true for our our, our sacred spaces. Hmm. That we're we're best off when we are finding ways to interact with them, uh, with the people, with the spirit, even if it is um, asynchronous. You know, you're not there on Zoom in the moment, leading worship from from your couch, but. You know, later on, there's maybe opportunities to have conversations in the comment sections. You know, what if we encouraged people to um, have talk back later in the week in comment sections on on YouTube videos? Hmm. You know, what if we encouraged that sort of dialogue? What if we had, you know, specialized uh, Facebook groups that only folks who are, you know, uh, parts of our churches we're a part of, and then you on on Monday posted some leading questions about what happened on Sunday, and you let people talk about it throughout the week. And, you know, would is that a way then that we're able to connect people across space, across time, um, utilizing the the kind of sacred space that we can create on the internet, which doesn't rely on a physical space, hmm. in order to create something like that. Oh, and, and another thing that I've been thinking a lot about recently in terms of place, I think we don't take enough time and consideration to think about our virtual presence in the same way we think about our physical presence. Like, my house is my house. This is my home. This is my space. I invite people into my space. I love when people come here. But if somebody comes into my home and is being disparaging about somebody else, whether they're in my home or not. I don't like that. I don't want that to stand. My children are here, mm. you know, and I, I don't want you bringing that here. If you, if you walk into my space with a Bluetooth speaker, blaring some music and just drowning out the conversations just because, you know, you feel that the airwaves belong to you, I might ask you to leave. You know, if maybe turn it off first, <laughs> maybe we'll try that first. Yeah. But I, I think we all intuitively have that, that the understanding that, you know, this is my space. I can cultivate this space as I wish. Mm. I don't know how many people I know feel that way about their virtual presence. And maybe it's because, you know, something like Facebook, you, you don't own Facebook, you know, you don't go into a McDonald's and say that this corner is now my corner. I'm going to hang up a mm -hmm. picture here and, you know, only my friends are allowed to visit me in this booth. But, you know, my Facebook posts are my 
Facebook posts. They are my place. They are my virtual digital place. Hmm. And people I know then interact with them. And most of the people I know don't know the other people that I know. <laughs> and so what so often happens is two people that I know who don't know each other, who have differing viewpoints, end up in some kind of argument in that space. <sighs> and then I sit back helpless and I think, well, I need to preserve their right to say what they want, to free space. You know, this is... I can't be the thought police here and and tell this person to stop talking and stop saying these things. But like if this were my house and it were like my birthday party and two friends who don't know each other were like saying really awful things to each other, I would stop them. Like right. you're ruining my birthday party. Mm-hmm. And so like I I feel empowered to erase comments, to tell mm-hmm. people they need to stop to um, create space for people who are historically marginalized and and yeah. told that they don't have a voice. Because in these virtual spaces, everyone's voice is pretty much equal. You know, it's kind of a rare place. And so I can create a space in that way. But only with intentionality, because every voice is equal until bullying happens, until boundaries are drawn. So there is an intentionality in creating that you're talking about rather Mm -hmm. than just allowing what happens to happen. And I think so much of that, I think, is what we're talking about when we're talking about the sacredness of space, the sacredness of place, the sacredness of time. There's intentionality. There's a I I want to create the world that I want to live in, that I want my children to live in. I don't want to silence people for who believe differently differently than me, who who think differently than me, who want to challenge me. But I also want to create a space where human dignity is protected, where if you're going to argue or have conflict, like have it with respect. And so in that way, you're creating a sacred space wherever you go, yeah. um, in in the church walls, in the theater walls, in your home, online. Like it, there. We create safe spaces. We create places of peace, not by avoiding conflict, but by being very, very intentional with how we craft and protect, and preserve maybe in some ways um thinking about how jesus did this um and how he created these safe safe places um in his ministry and he didn't have a house didn't have a home (laughs) didn't have a home church home synagogue you know he was a a wandering itinerant preacher troublemaker Mm. But, you know, in his teaching, he would, he would, when people were like, these kids need to, you know, just color quietly and stop making a fuss. And Jesus Mm -hmm. said, hey, bring them up to the front. I want them to be up here with me. Mm -hmm. But then also at times when he's in other people's homes, you know, I think of, of, uh, there's several occasions where he's in like Pharisees homes who are religious leaders. And so these are probably bigger houses with servants and 
you know, different ways of, 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 of doing things. They probably have fine China, the equivalent in the first century. Prestigious and, religious elite. Yeah. <laughs> and then these, this, like, woman of ill repute comes in, you mm. know, and, and washes Jesus's feet or something like that. There's a couple different instances. And she is derided for it. And, and the, the religious leaders want her out. She's ruining their space. And Jesus carves out a place for her and you know uh, he honors her yeah and he he tells the pharisees in no uncertain terms you know that they dishonor him by dishonoring her mm. and they dishonor god her creator in the same way and expose their own hypocrisies mm. so jesus is not afraid to make any space a sacred space and make any space a place that is open and um safe for the marginalized and, and the people who are most often told to shut up. <laughs> I, I, I'm into that, you know? I, I like the fact that in, um, in the Hebrew scriptures, when uh, David and then Solomon really want to build a temple because God really needs a house because <laughs> they really want a place that is predictable and central where they can also store their money and you know, they can have control over when worship happens and where worship happens and all that stuff. And, and God and like, God's just like, no, I, I've been living in a tent for a long <laughs> time, you know, the tabernacle. And I kind of like camping and I'd rather be a bit more mobile than this. <laughs> and if you build a temple, it's, I mean, I'm not, I'm not always just going to live there. You can't contain me in this. I'm, a, I'm on the move, you know? But that, that tabernacle, every time the wandering Israelites would, uh, well, Hebrew people would um, set it up, there was like a week-long process of dedicating each individual part of it and setting it up and making it intentional. Every time they, they tore it down and set it up, there was a whole ritual that went into it in order to make that space sacred and different. It wasn't just you throw up the tent and now we're good to go. There was <laughs> intentionality. And even though it could be at the foot of a mountain, it could be at an oasis, it could be in the middle of the desert, didn't matter. God could be in that space because God is everywhere and God is on the move. But there was still a certain intentionality in creating it. One of the things that we have kind of dreamed about as a, as a planting team, uh, we're working with about uh, 12 or 13 others to help bring this to fruition. And one of the things we've talked about is what what if like next summer we hike to a spot and have our service there? What if we, I mean, we've met a couple times in Riverfront Park in Pottstown. And um, I mean, a couple of us have even said like, I mean, can we do this again? Because this is so <laughs> wonderful. Um because again, the 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 tabernacle of that little pavilion mm. um, helps us to see God just as much as you know being in that theater or being yes. at the carousel or being um, at a church building. Um, I think that natural space is already sacred. Yeah. So you don't have to work as hard to, no. to make it sacred. You just show up and you can already feel the spirit there. Correct. Yeah. Um, and and so, you know, the spirit of God is present and among us when we just gather 
Like when when we say we set apart this time and this space and this place, wherever that place is, it becomes sacred. Uh, it, it's almost like you have to turn your attention to see it because it's already it's already there. Mm. And and just by nature of 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 gathering makes it holy, makes it sacred. Mm. When you're there to commune with God, God God is already there. And so I, I I have dreams of like hiking for like a half hour with a group of people one Sunday, um, probably not until next summer or the summer after, but just making that one of our Sunday services just as mm-hmm. much as meeting, you know, in the theater space or. You don't have to twist my arm <laughs> for that one. I'm there. Yeah. I love it. I think one of the things that is just such a great metaphor for the way that we've often thought about church and place are stained glass windows because they are beautiful. They are pretty. They invoke a sort of uh, religious awe, but you can only experience them from within because they're illuminated from without. (laughs) And so on the outside, they just look like kind of plain pictures and on the inside, they're gorgeous and beautiful when you have to go in in order to experience them, but they also obscure the outside. Hmm. So you can't see what's going on in your immediate vicinity, in your community. You can't see the rest of nature. You can't see the people, the colors, all of that. And the people outside can't see what's going on in your church. So they are a sort of way of worship that obscures the rest of the world and isolates the church sanctuary, which is in many ways the way that we have formed church to operate, isolated from the outside at like a uh, like a, a, a an embassy of the uh, the kingdom of God that exists on its own soil outside of the community where it's planted. Like a sanctuary from, yeah. rather than like a sanctuary for. Yeah. So we we have to kind of hide in this place so that we can focus, so that we can be protected, so that we can be safe, rather than this sacred space where everyone is welcome and this 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 sanctuary where you're invited into community. Yeah. And I would I would challenge anyone out there who is a member of uh, of a church or a leader of a church to figure out the top two or three issues that are facing the community where your church is located. Um, this is something that I was definitely guilty of in in my ministry up until this point. Um I, I've been pastoring a, a church in St. Lawrence where we currently live, which is a mile away from Reading. And Reading is regularly in the top 10 poorest cities in the country. In There's tons of, of, of drug abuse and just a lot of very obvious need. And so St. Lawrence is very much the opposite. It's a lot of people who have lived in these homes for generations. It's very middle class, upper middle class, very white professional uh, neighborhood. And you know, the congregation reflected that. And so I think for a couple years, for a long time, my focus was like, how can we help Reading? Hmm. 
how can our church use our resources to help the under-resourced in the city that's a mile away from us? Them. Right. The us and them. <laughs> it, it, it's a matter of charity, of recognizing our giftedness and our blessedness in order to help alleviate the suffering of the of, of them. Poor Redding. Poor Redding. Now, <laughs> we would never, um, I, I had never suggested to anyone that we do anything systemic, you know, that we <sighs> do some kind of get out the vote sort of thing, or that we would write letters to our Congress people to pressure them into, you know, increasing funding for schooling and things like that for the city. But, you know, we would, I, I would, I would try to tell people to, you know, take care of immediate needs. And I, I kind of tried to push that for a while and <sighs> never quite felt right. It's you know, disconnected. And, yeah. And the more, the longer I lived here, the more I realized that we've got tons of problems here in St. Lawrence, in Exeter. Um, they're just not obvious because we've got this kind of uh, Pennsylvania Dutch, we don't air our dirty laundry kind of mentality. Um, the drug addiction in Exeter and St. Lawrence is just epidemic levels, but it's all behind closed doors and it's all done in secret and in shame. Mm. And it's, you know, the the opioid epidemic is is huge here. There's a lot of poverty. There's a lot of people living paycheck to paycheck, but nobody talks about it because they're ashamed. Yeah, They're embarrassed. Um, and so if I had to do it all over again, I would focus from day one on the needs of this community, of this place, as opposed to how can we use our resources to help the poor people next door. Hmm. I would have, you know, gone on a ride along with the the police a few times um, hmm. to see what the sort of things that they deal with. I'd, I'd find local hmm. EMTs and ask them what they're dealing with, you know, uh, would would talk with the local borough uh, council, ask them what sorts of things are happening there, you know, not just assume that I know where the needs are because they're obvious, but really dig deeper to figure out what are the top two or three needs here right now. Great ideas for 19464, which is Pottstown. <laughs> uh, connecting with, with folks who know what's going on um, way more than we ever could. Yeah. So to answer the question, can somebody <laughs> who lives on the other side of the world join Open Table United Church of Christ? No. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. And we would also invite you to connect and commit with where your feet are as well. Mm. And join connect us. us there. Help us to see what's happening there. Yeah. Join us in worship. Join us in conversation. Join us in sharing your spirit. And also may the work that's being done in Pottstown inspire you to commit likewise to whatever town and borough and city you find yourself in. So yes and. Yes I, and. I think is going to be my answer to most questions. That's maybe what we should have called our church. Yes and dot 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 UCC. <laughs> Yes, and UCC. <laughs> well, too late. We already registered with the government, and that's just going to be a lot of paperwork to change it. <laughs> and we already have a website and branding and all of that. So you're stuck with Open Table United Church of Christ. I'm sorry. It's a pretty good name. It's a pretty good name. <laughs>
So we look forward to seeing you at our launch party on the 11th at the carousel. Um, I'm going to try my best to have that event live streamed as well mm. so that those of you who can't be with us in person can be with us virtually and try our best in um, these sort of transient spaces where we find ourselves, where we have to set up and tear down all the time to still be able to create a space where there can be some level of interactivity mm. with you who are at home. And we would invite you the next week and every Sunday thereafter to join us at 10 o'clock at the Steel River Playhouse in Pottstown. We would love to meet you, to have you there, to have you with us. We would love, love, love that. <laughs> well, we'll see you then. <laughs>